it's really cool to be here with you guys and to dive into the same scripture each and every single Sunday for eight weeks straight. I mean, I know that's not the norm. That's not usually what you do on Sunday mornings in church. You study a vast array of scriptures. But as a community, we have been gathering around one passage of scripture for the last eight weeks. It's only three verses. But what's wild is that every single week, something new is revealed to us, we receive wisdom and revelation, and then we learn more, not only about the words of Jesus, but the heart of Jesus. And, and, and we're transformed more into his character. And so I'm excited to dive back into this scripture today, because as we shift now into March, that is crazy, man, it is March. Like at the end of this month, like a quarter of the year is going to be over. That's weird. Time just flies, man. And uh, this morning, my granny texted me, and she had a message for you guys. So uh, this is this is the word. Don't forget time change next Sunday. Thought you might want to announce it. <laughs> Everybody say thanks, granny. Yeah. So there's your there's your. Uh, as your memory verse, all right? So how many of you guys got your Bibles? You got your I, I, iPhones, iPads, whatever you got, iSomething, or maybe you have a Galaxy Note 7, which is basically the size of an iPad Pro. It's only a phone. Uh, but if you have it, open it up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. We're going to read this verse of Scripture again, and as we transition now into March... We are going to put the emphasis on the final primary instruction of Jesus Christ for us to fish for men. You guys ready for this? This month, fishing for men in March, this is going to be good. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, we'll read it together. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, now we got to get these words, this original invitation to the disciples of Jesus Christ, follow me. Everybody say relationship. Because that's what the following is all about. It is an invitation from the Son of God for us to enjoy him in intimate relationship. Everybody say relationship. That's what the following is about. The next thing that he says is, and I will make you. Everybody say discipleship. Because when Jesus invites us to follow him, that comes with a guarantee. That comes with a personal promise from the son of God that he will transform you. How many of you guys think that's good news? That you don't have to transform yourself. That you don't have the supreme responsibility of transforming yourself. That God personally takes supreme responsibility for your transformation. How many of you guys just got delivered right there? You're like, man, I've been working too hard, right? Jesus is in the house to transform us. Everybody say amen. And then the next thing he says is, And I will make you fishers of men. Now, this is about evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism. 
Now, this is like a cuss word in current cultural Christian context, right? Like when you think about evangelism, everybody starts shaking because they're like, oh, no. I'm going to be asked to do something uncomfortable. So just look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your promise. Lord, you've given us a personal promise that you'll transform us. So if we're, if we're afraid, if we're scared, then all we need to do is lean into you. We don't, we don't need to overcome fear on our own because you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so that's just not in the DNA. So Jesus, come be with us today as we learn directly from you. Come transform us. Put a spirit of revelation upon us, God, that we would truly understand everything that you want to say to this family in this season. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Today I'm going to talk to you from the subject of God's plan. And uh, and I, I, I really am just going to dive into what God's plan is for our lives as it pertains to preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel, and being a fisher of men. Now, I want you to know straight up, right away, if you are a Christian, Jesus has personally called you to fish for men. I'm going to let that sink in, right? If you are a Christian, Jesus has personally commissioned you to preach the gospel. Amen? Now, I realize that we live in Nashville, and a lot of people move here to make it, right? You know what I'm saying? And sometimes when you meet people, you can't quite figure out their angle. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you meet somebody, and you're like, what are they trying to get from me? You guys ever had that experience, right? Jesus was never like that because he told you what you were going to get from him straight out the gate. He said, listen, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to hide my hand. I'm not going to dupe you into following me only to later reveal to you that you're going to do evangelism. I'm going to tell you this from the jump, from square one, follow me. But if you do, I want to warn you, if you're not into evangelism, you're not going to be able to follow for very long. Because here's my guarantee, if you're not into it, just keep following because I'm going to transform you until it becomes the natural byproduct of your relationship with me. And that's why we can always go back to the drawing board of our faith and ask ourselves, am I fishing for men? Because to the extent that we fish for men actually reveals the degree in which we're following the real Jesus, not a superficial religion that idolizes Christianity, but a real intimate relationship with the real person of Jesus. You guys with me today? And so Jesus doesn't pull any punches, man. he's He's not working an angle here to try to get you to evangelize so that he can advance his organization that he will later start called Christianity. You guys with me, right? Jesus just says it right from the get-go. If you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to be a fisher of men. Now, we have to establish this right up front as well. To fish for men 
means to preach the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean just from the pulpit. That doesn't mean just from a conference that is put on by a church. But to fish for men means to actively share the gospel of Jesus Christ day in and day out. That's what Jesus was talking about whenever he says, I'm going to cause you, I'm going to construct in you to fish for men. That means that you would live actively participating in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. Not that you would be an innocent bystander, not that you would be a spectator of what Jesus does, but that you would play an active role in his ministry. And you wouldn't just serve, but you would speak. This is something that we have to see right up front. Now, the, the, the disciples weren't promised where they would go, but they were promised what they would do. So oftentimes in our culture, when we think about God's plan, it's all about where am I going to end up? Where am I going to go next? Where am I going to be in 10 years? But whenever Jesus spoke, he was concerned less about where. He said, hey, foxes have holes, man. You know, they know where they're going to sleep at night. This thing ain't all about the where. He told Abraham, hey, follow me. You'll find out where you're going on the way. Jesus wasn't as concerned about where. Jesus talked about the what. Here is what you're going to be doing. If you're going to be following me, I don't need you to concern yourself with the where. I need you to concern yourself with the what. What are you going to do if you're a Christian? If you really consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you doing about it? You, you guys with me, right? Because if you confess to follow Jesus, then our lives should look different. Amen? And right from the beginning, you know, Jesus tells the disciples, this is what you're going to be doing. And he never alludes to the fact that we would mature out of it. Right? He doesn't say, do this the first six months after you're saved when you're real excited about being saved. But he says, hey, this is something you're going to do until the day you die. And some of them did it on the day that they died. This is something you never grow up out of, sharing the gospel. You notice also that Jesus doesn't invite them to follow him and then get out of his robe a Myers-Briggs personality test. And say, here, I want to check your personality to make sure that you are the right fit to preach the gospel. Oh, you're introverted? No, you can't follow me. You, you see what I'm saying? Jesus doesn't take your temperature before he invites you to follow him. He doesn't say, oh, well, you're an introvert, so you're not going to work out as a Christian. He doesn't ask you what your personality is. He just gives you a new personality. I'm going to throw my phone. You know, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like he does. Somebody say, I am, I am a, new a new creation. You may not have had the personality to preach the gospel, but the day you got saved, there was something that happened on the inside of you that the fear of man no longer ruled the way that you lived your life. 
But the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the potency of his blood that overcomes not only your sin, but also everything that it's attached to, your shame, your guilt, and the fear of man, to cause you to do something about the lover of your soul, Jesus, who you follow. This is what Jesus came to do. Don't worry if you don't feel qualified. How many of you guys have heard the statement before? Jesus doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. How many of you guys are thankful for that? If you're thankful for that, just say, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I traveled through villages in Africa with Mama Heidi Baker, I noticed that she never offered a new believer a choice. She told every single one the same exact thing. If you are saved, you are a speaker of the gospel. She just never gave them a choice. She didn't didn't create a construct that said that it was optional to fulfill Christ's great commission. But when we read that in our Bibles, we oftentimes look at the heading as if it was not the great commission, but the great suggestion. Parentheses. If you're having a good day. Right? So, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, y'all, y'all act like I'm roasting you. I'm not trying to roast you. Like, I'm just, right? We just, we're, let's just preach the gospel, you know, just a simple gospel. I heard a pastor say one time, never be offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. You know what I mean? I, we don't, as leaders, we should never be like, you know, trying to be heavy. The gospel takes care of that all on its own because the gospel is a challenge to us, right? And it's a challenge to the world as it is because its declaration is this, Jesus is Lord. That means every other system is an imposter. Every other power, principality, demon, above or below has to bow its knee and confess with its tongue that Jesus is king. So so that's the gospel. (laughs) I've noticed that this is quite normal in the nations that every single person that is saved becomes a speaker of the gospel quite quickly. I read a story this week about a man that ministers in a Muslim nation. And when new believers are saved there, they encourage them to make a list of all of the unbelievers that they know, which is basically everyone that they know. And then they have them circle the names of the 10 people on the list that are the least likely to kill them for becoming Christians. This is a true story. And then starting with those 10 people, they are encouraged to go and share the gospel with them as soon as possible. And that's exactly what they do, and that is how the gospel is beginning to spread in this Muslim nation. And in fact, this idea is not cultural, it is biblical. As soon as people became followers of Jesus, they began fishing for men by speaking the gospel. If you will think back uh, with me just a moment to the woman at the well. She was living with the fifth man, right, who was not her husband. She had gone through multiple divorces. She was considered to be an outcast. She was a woman in a society that did not value females. And yet the Son of God sat down by the well, revealed himself to her. In, in our context, she would have 
received the revelation and been saved. And instead of following him only to become a spectator, Jesus commissions her to become a speaker. And then she goes back into the city where she's from and begins to evangelize that city. And despite her reputation, despite the sin in her past, they recognize the weight of her words in her present. Not because of the men that she lived with, but because of the man that she had met. And they said, you know what? There's something unique about you. I know, I, like, I know your reputation, but it seems that you have been renewed. And so they listened to what she shared. She had become a speaker of the gospel. She had become an evangelist. And the impact of her message was so profound, despite her reputation, that the whole city came out and then met Jesus for themselves. That's pretty awesome. She didn't go through a ministry school first. Right? She didn't read 15 books this year first. Because sometimes we get into that. Oh, well, I'm not ready yet. Well, Jesus said this woman was ready and she had failed at five marriages. I mean, let's, let's take you back to the story of Jesus walking through the tombs at the Gadarenes and you have demoniacs that have been tied up by chains. They're breaking them off because they're possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus says the word. They're delivered of the demons. And the guy says, well, now I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't want you to be a spectator. I want you to be a speaker. So why don't you go back to where you're from and go witness to all of the people who had previously seen you bound so that they can now get a picture of you delivered he commissions the man he doesn't say hey I need you to do 22 sozos first before I let you receive the offering I'm not saying anything's wrong with inner healing I do inner healing myself but the point I'm trying to make is is that we share as we get healed we share as we go we don't wait for a time in which God's plan is one day revealed that causes us to evangelize we understand that God's plan is for us to evangelize today and we do that as we go about our lives Despite our reputation, despite where we were uh, the night before or last week or two years ago, but oftentimes, isn't it our shame that keeps, keeps us from sharing the gospel because who we used to be? When God doesn't see you for who you used to be, he looks at you and sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's no way that sin could be visible because the blood is covering you. We're so, well, people are going to see me for who I really am. No, they're going to see the blood. Amen? That should encourage us this morning. They're going to see the blood. And this is biblical. This whole, this whole idea of sharing the gospel as soon as you're saved. But unfortunately, it's not really the normal here. How many of you guys would agree with that? I recognize that it's quite possible that many Christians in our nation have never shared the gospel with one single person in their entire lives. People who confess to be Christian. And for those of us that have, I think it's important that we consider, am I actively leading people around me to follow Jesus? Sometimes ministry can actually be a barrier to that, right? Because I could spend all of my time in an office reading the Bible, preparing for Sunday's message, but, and speak to you as a Christian, but never to somebody who is not following Jesus, which is why I love to work out of coffee shops and I annoy everybody, which is why no Uber driver is safe with me. 
I'm, I'm being honest with you guys. Like, I'm like, if you're in a car with me for 15 minutes, you're about to get some prayer. You're at least going to hear the word. You're at least going to hear me talk to you about Jesus. Yeah? So, you know, it's important that we consider this. Am I actively leading people around me to follow Jesus? Because remember, this is something I don't mature out of. Why are you not consumed with a passion to share the gospel is a question I want to ask you this morning. We say that evangelism is important, but oftentimes we outsource it to the organization that we call the church. Well, I need the church to do my evangelism for me. Jesus did not say that would be how it would go. He said that you personally, as an individual, would become a fisher of men as you follow him. Not that the organization that you're a part of would take all the responsibility off your plate to live an authentic Christian life. Okay. We say... (laughs) We're having a good 9 a.m. We say that evangelism is important. We say that following Jesus includes fishing for men. But the question I have is, why don't we really do it? I think the minor reason, not the major reason, but I think the minor reason is fear. Honestly, I think that we're simply afraid of being misunderstood. I think that we're afraid of being rejected. I think that we're afraid of, you know, violating the boundaries of political correctness. And so we just don't speak up. We don't want to bother anybody or inconvenience their day. And so I think the fear that keeps us from evangelism is actually a minor thing. It's a minor thing. I don't think it's a major thing. I think the major reason why we don't share the gospel more in America is not because of personal feelings. This is my opinion, but I believe that it is a systemic misunderstanding of what God's plan is for the life of a disciple. In our culture, it would seem as though God's supreme plan for our lives is for us to prosper. God does no doubt want you to prosper. But far too often this is the summary of our faith. I am a Christian for the good that comes of me following Jesus, going to church, giving in the offering, serving uh, in the kids' ministry. This becomes the summary of our faith. I I am a Christian and, and the whole thing is happening so that I might prosper. God does want you to prosper, but I want to be clear, following Jesus does ensure that you'll be blessed, but not before it ensures that you'll preach the gospel. Not before it ensures that you will preach the gospel. Is God's plan for you to simply prosper only? Is that all that summarizes God's plan for your life? For you to get from point A to point B the quickest, the smoothest, the fastest and the most comfortable? Is that really God's entire summary of of his plan for our lives? Or does it include us following him in relationship, him transforming us through discipleship, and then us fishing for men through evangelism? Amen? Amen? And so this, I believe, is a systemic misunderstanding in our culture of what God's plan is for our lives. Could I say this emphatically today, that God's plan for your life is is that you would preach the gospel? 
There, there are other elements. I'm not erasing those. I'm saying that God's plan for your life is that you would preach the gospel. And if you're in here thinking, this is not for me, it's for that person. If that was just your thought, no, it's for you. If you're that person thinking, it's for that person, nope, it's for you, okay? If you're not that person, you're thinking, it's for you. If you're alive in here, it's for you. If you have a pulse, it's for you. If you confess to follow Jesus, look at your neighbor say, it's for you. Hey, here's my question, guys. Have we become so hashtag blessed that we've missed God's supreme plan for our lives? Right? When did that become the construct for how we gauge the success of our Christianity, right? That I'm so blessed. I mean, that doctrine has been surfacing for years. My parents wrestled with it. Uh, I don't know if they wrestled with it personally, but I saw my parents' generation really struggle with this idea, this doctrine called the prosperity gospel, which basically said you are as valuable, you are as anointed as you are wealthy. Right? But my generation doesn't seem to struggle with that as much. My generation struggles with the popularity gospel, which says that you are only as valuable or you are only as anointed as you are influential or famous. So if you don't have a K behind the number of followers that you have on Instagram, you can forget about the anointing, buddy. You will never be successful as a fisher of men. Am I telling y'all the truth, man? Because honestly, these are things that I believe demons use to distort the simplicity of the gospel whenever Jesus said, come and follow me. Just have a simple, intimate relationship with me, and I'm going to make you. You don't have to, you know, buy a bunch of books and e-courses. Those things are good. They're tools. God can use them to help you be transformed. But ultimately, it's only by his grace that I grow in stature with God. And then share the gospel from this place. It's a lot more simple than we make it out to be. Do you guys agree with that? Jesus kept it simple, which I find, you know, to be very interesting as I contrast that to our confused and complicated lives. Jesus had such such a simple message, so why do modern Christians live such complicated lives? Jesus preached a simple gospel, and so why do we try to follow God Uh, confused, right? If Jesus really did preach the gospel this simply, and so I titled this message God's Plan because I think that for many of us today, we really wrestle with discerning what God's supreme plan is for our lives. We hear messages like relationship, discipleship, and evangelism. I should preach the gospel. I should speak the gospel. But we got so many other things going on that God plans for our lives that God has spoken to us about doing that we never actually emphasize what Jesus emphasized most often, which were these simple ideas of relationship, discipleship, and evangelism. And, you know, as a pastor, I do help people from time to time discern God's will for their lives. That comes through prayer and the best counsel I have, but it's ultimately God who leads people to do what they're called to do. I just know, according to the simplicity of the written word, that we are all called to this. Sometimes we get so pulled away by trying to discern a word that God might be giving us 
rather than simply opening up the scriptures and looking at the words that God has already given us that are concrete and immovable and not going anywhere and they've held true for thousands and thousands and thousands of right like they work right so like the effectiveness has been gauged they are successful right so it just that's been interesting to me because I get a lot of questions about what God's what is God's plan for my life I hear questions like this do I go this way or do I go that way do I move to this city do I move to that city what do I study where do I live who do I marry when do I have kids wait a little bit should I buy this what what's God's plan you know like these, these are the things that these are the things that I, I hear I, I hear them often and and with all of these questions it would seem as though God's plan is all but lost for us we are confused about what God would truly have us to do. And so we developed these clever strategies to help us discover God's plan. And through my conversations with people as a pastor over the past 12 years or so, I've noticed that we have a few different tools in our belt that we use to discern God's plan. The first one is Bible roulette. And this is where we close our eyes and we open the Bible and we point to a verse and that becomes the plan. God, give me a word. And you got to be careful doing that because sometimes you'll land on, land on Christ. And Judas went out and hanged himself. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you do, you do, it's, not a, it's not always a reliable thing, okay? You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, whoa, that's, whoa, no, that's not, definitely not God's plan, right? You guys with me? But we do it, right? The next one is that I've noticed is, is the fleece method, which I mentioned this last week. But we test God at least three times so that we are sure of his plan. And we think of all kinds of crazy ways to test God, don't we? We're like, well, if this person is wearing a red shirt and he says this at this time, then it's God. You know what I mean? And God is faithful to fit within some of these crazy expectations that we create for him but it's 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 weird to me that we need to create such you know a, a game for God when he's already spoken to us in his word very simply about what his plan is for our lives are, are you with me uh, the next one might be like coincidences like we're on the lookout for all of these uncanny coincidences and they reveal God's plan. I remember when I was in ministry school, people were discerning God's plan as to who they were supposed to marry because they were in a worship setting and they had their hands lifted and their eyes closed and God whispered, open your eyes. And they opened their eyes and they saw this girl and that was God's plan for their spouse. I never saw any of those people get married, but... You, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and another one which, you know, I, I'm very fond of is supernatural encounters. But even when you read the scriptures and you consider in your life how many supernatural encounters you have, uh, we will have a lot over the time of our lives, but we don't necessarily have a lot each week. We don't necessarily have a lot each month. Now, we're, sometimes we experience seasons where we have a lot. But I just don't think that this is God's favorite way to speak to us about his plan because he's already revealed his plan through the simple gospel and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. 
Amen? The encounters are there for us. We're going to experience them. We're going to have them. But we cannot use them only as a means of a compass to discern God's plan for our lives. Because then we'll only share the gospel when we have an encounter. And what happens if you haven't had an encounter in a while? You know, then you have to muster up the energy to go soak for 30 minutes so that you can hope to hear a word from God. God has already given you a word to follow him and have relationship. He promises to transform you as he speaks to you in discipleship and cause you to share the gospel in in evangelism. Another one is the whisper. You know, it's only the will of God if I hear a small voice that reveals to me his plan after I've been sitting in my rocking chair for 30 minutes. I think that's also, it's a great thing to do, but how often do we hear it, right? And this is just one of the things that I think that we use. I'm not knocking these things. I'm just saying, like, we use these probably more than we should in some sense. Uh, How about this one, the closed door method? If it's hard, it's not God's plan. Closed door. Right? Uh, Or how about on the flip side, the open door method. If it's easy, God's plan. You know what I'm saying? Blessed. Hashtag blessed. That's definitely God's plan. You know? But what if you utilize all of these methods and trying to figure out and discern God's plan through what time you wake up at 3.33 in the morning you know, twice a month. I mean, I'm not against the divine coincidences. All I'm saying is if you utilize all of these message methods to try to discern God's plan for your life, what if it would slow you down and distract you from the simplicity of the real gospel? Do we really believe that God the Father is up in heaven playing a divine game of Marco Polo? Marco, oh, I'm going to college over here. You know, oh, Polo, nope, you're supposed to move here. Marco, oh, that's my husband. Oh, Polo, oh, I'm going to be a missionary. Marco, nope, I need to work for this. You know. you, do we think God's, God's in heaven like getting warmer? Ice cold, ice cold, right? Getting warmer. Oh, that, oh you're hot. You're burning hot. Oh, nope. Freezing cold. Can can, can I be honest with you guys? Like God has revealed his plan through his son, Jesus Christ. The supreme revelation of God's plan for your life has come to us through Jesus Christ. And we have received this revelation through Jesus, and we have received this invitation directly from Jesus that he would be with us as we do what he's called us to do, which is to share the gospel. I'm submitting to you guys today that we can use all of these tools our whole lives and even miss out on the supreme, God, supreme plan that God has for our lives. What does God really want? What is his, his plan? Are we really supposed to preach the gospel? These are some questions that I'm, I'm closing here. But I want to read to you guys a few scriptures from the New Testament. You guys in the back, you guys have some Old Testament scriptures. But just for the sake of time, I'm just going to read just through the ones in the New Testament. This is God's plan. God wants every single person to know him and worship him. If you believe that's true, just say amen. Amen. God wants every single person to know him and to worship him, which is why we have been commissioned to share the gospel. Everybody everybody say amen. Amen. 
Amen. So let's look at some New Testament passages. I'm not going to go throughout. I, I have some Old Testament passages. If you want them, you know, hit me up on Twitter. I'll send them to you. But I just want to go through some New Testament passages because when you look throughout the Gospels and even the uh, New Testament writings uh, of Paul especially, we recognize that God's one and true supreme plan for humanity is that he would have relationship with them, that they would trust him, and that they would worship him. And that is why he has commissioned you and I to preach the gospel so that his supreme plan could be fulfilled. So we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus gives us the great commission in Matthew and Mark. Consider Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching. Everybody say teaching. Say say speaking. Right? Sharing. To observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Look at Mark 16 and 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim. Everybody say, speak the gospel to the whole creation. You look at Luke 24, 47 and 48. It says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be in his name to all nations. Beginning from Nashville, you are witnesses of these things. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Later on, we see Paul writing to the Romans about God's plan. In Romans 15, 8 and 9, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, that's the Jews, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles, everybody say, that's us, praise God, might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you, everybody say, speaking, among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Paul then states his own goal in Romans 15 and 20, just a little bit later. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. Paul was like, I'm looking for the darkest places on the planet to go and preach the gospel because I would like to receive the joy of mentioning the name of Jesus in a location where it has never been whispered before. You see Peter in 2 Peter 3 and 9 telling us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Everybody say God's plan. God wants everybody to know him. He wants everybody to trust him. And he wants everybody to worship him. And then in Revelation, we see God's plan on display in the culmination of what he longs to do. Revelation 7, 9, and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is God's plan. He wants everybody to know Him. He wants everybody to trust Him. And He wants everybody to worship Him. And he has, he has empowered us. He has commissioned us. And He has commanded us to be the sharers of His gospel. Amen? One last thing I want you to recognize is that I'll finish where I, where I started. On day one, Jesus says to His disciples, you're going to fish for men. As they follow Him in ministry, He says, this is my mission, to seek and save the lost. And then just before he ascends, he says, this is your mission. Go and disciple all nations, baptize and teach them. It's impossible to follow Jesus and not become a speaker of the gospel. Please stand with me today. And the question we're asking ourselves and that we're praying into is this, how can I become a disciple maker? Because this is really, truly why Jesus has called us to himself for relationship, for transformation, and for us to become an evangelist, to become disciple makers. So I just want you to ask yourself that as we're closing. This is our our prayer today. How can I better make disciples? How can I better actively tell people about Jesus in my life? Listen, we got Easter coming up in a month. You know, most, most people in America get saved at church. So sometimes we're afraid of being rejected so we don't invite people. But um, we're going to make available next week some, some cards for you guys if you would like to have some to share with your friends, share with people. Because, you know, Easter's a time when a lot of people come to church. And, you know, this is, a, this is an amazing time to invite somebody who's been reluctant to be a part. Because as God enables us, we are going to share the gospel and invite people to give their lives to Him. So we're believing that Easter Sunday is going to be a resurrection day for our friends and for our family. Amen? So as we talk about evangelism this month, guys, I want you to be praying, asking the Lord, how can I better actively share Jesus with the world around me? People have been put around you for the purpose of you sharing the gospel with them. They're not testimonies on two legs. They are people who God loves. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in Jesus' name, we bless your bride today. Cause us to become preachers of the gospel. Lord, I release a commissioning today. I echo the words of Christ in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 that you should go and preach the gospel to all creation. You are believed in. You are loved. You are celebrated. You are anointed. You are powerful. And we believe in you. Legacy Church, be the beautiful bride of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen.